every no is a bummer but i think life is cyclical after x amount of no's you, there's gonna be a yes it's like i faked it till i made it and now we're here so now we gotta move forward there's no plan b you know burn the ships If you are a creative in the entertainment industry looking for inspiration and practical ideas about how to take the next steps in your career, you are in the right place. My name is Rebecca Doyle and I work in film and television in Los Angeles. I learned so much from the ups and downs of the talented, innovative people surrounding me and I want to share those insights with you. Join in every other week to hear the break-in stories of people who overcame challenges and found unconventional avenues to pursue their dream careers in an industry that has no set path. I love that the first interview episode of 2024 is today's guest because I think she's going to help you start the year off thinking about how to overcome any type of rejection and treat doors that aren't opening as opportunities to build your own. Emily Rule is a model, actress, producer, writer, and director. She has been featured in Teen Vogue, Nylon, Oyster Magazine, and Elle, among many others. She has been the face of many cosmetic companies, including Smashbox, KKW Beauty, and MAC. Emily first starred opposite Nicholas Holt in Drake Doremus's feature film, Newness, Sundance 2017. Emily made her producing, directorial, and writing debut with her short Blue Moon, which has been to over 100 festivals worldwide and won numerous awards, including four times for Best Director. Emily founded Public School Pictures in 2021. PSP's executive producer credits include Jordan West's Playland, Tribeca 2023, we Strangers, South by Southwest, 2024, the upcoming Pretty Sad, directed by Jim Cummings, and Emily's original series, 13th Stepping. Emily hosts the Public School Pictures podcast and heads student-focused nonprofit Back to School. Most recently, Emily was announced as a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 class of 2024. Today, we are diving into what executive producers and investors look for when deciding to invest in a project, how to balance careers in front of and behind the camera, founding your own company when you are sick of waiting on others to give you the projects of your dreams and tips for making Forbes 30 under 30. Emily is such a self-starter. She's such a hard worker. And you can tell during our conversation how she continually keeps an open enough mind to always continue learning. So I cannot wait for you to hear her full story. Let's jump into the interview. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm so excited to hear about everything that you're up to. Thank you for having me. So there are so many projects. We're going to try to get through most of them. You have so much on your slate, so many things that are going to festivals that you're developing, that you're rewriting. What are you most excited about right now? I'm most excited about today. Well, it's like having children. It kind of changes based on the day. But right now it's We Strangers. We got some really great news and I'm really excited for the director and the producer and the whole team. South by Southwest accepted We Strangers, which is awesome because... It is so wonderful to see this festival really accept and support our filmmaker, Anubalia. Her first short went to South By, and so it feels like a nice homecoming. And I'm from Texas, so I'm really excited to to go back and go to the festival. Mm. And this was a film that was made in tandem with your company, Public School Pictures. Is that correct? Yes, we were executive producers on the film, and it was shot in Cary, Indiana earlier 2023. Awesome. Cannot wait to see that at South by in 2024. So there's also a lot of different roles that you are capable of filling on these projects. Sometimes you write, sometimes you act, sometimes you're producing and directing. What was your role as an executive producer on We Strangers? Like what was your day to day or involvement on the film? So I came onto the project, they were already in the midst of filming. A lot of the role of an executive producer is giving guidance when it comes to, for example, now we're going to be looking for a sales agent for the film, creating decks, moral support, feedback when it comes to screenings and and cuts of the film, and really just supporting the collaboration however best we can since we came in right at the time when Post was starting. Okay. So does that also mean that Public School Pictures is providing financial support to be able to provide that guidance? Exactly. Yeah. The term producer can be a little nuanced, but executive producer generally means you provide financing and we get really involved because we we love filmmaking. So we are a part of most steps of post. Definitely. So totally fulfilling all of the responsibilities there as an EP. 
Man, there's so many projects, Emily. I'm struggling to pick which one to talk about next. I know Blue Moon came out a little while ago, but I know that was a really important film for you because it's what you invested your resources in. Instead of going to film school, you actually made your own film. It looks beautiful. It got into over 100 festivals worldwide. Um, I, let's just talk a little bit about the experience of making that. It was the first thing I ever made. It was the first thing I ever wrote. It was the first thing I ever directed. It's the first thing I ever budgeted. And... I think there was a real magic about that. It's a funny, I think everything I make, I have made since then. I've been chasing the feeling that I had with that movie. I don't know if I'll ever get it again. And maybe that was just a really special moment in time. It was one of those things where when we were filming it, I knew that I found something really special in my life and that I wanted to keep doing this over and over again. And that feeling is kind of indescribable and, and unforgettable. I think that... It was a real trial by fire. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong, which was also wonderful because the stakes were pretty low and it was great to find out, you know, how to get a truck out of the pound because you don't have a permit for parking and, and things like that. that oh, you, just, gosh. You, you don't know that you didn't know. Uh, but it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I watch it back now and it's funny, I kind of cringe because I think as you get older and more experienced, you obviously would do certain things differently. And because this was my first thing, um, I watched it now and go, oh, I don't know if I would have cut there. But I love it. It's a part of my soul. And I'm happy that people get to see it on our Pablo School Pictures website. Definitely. So other than the truck and the permitting, Permit Gate 2021. Are there any other challenges in that production that mm -hmm. you, you uh -huh. can speak to overcoming? Yeah, I mean, a location really last minute, a car really mm. last minute. Uh, there's a scene in the film where we follow the picture car and we're behind this car as they drive through LA up to Mulholland Drive and uh, a map was never printed for the drivers of that car. So that was a situation where you're like on a walkie-talkie, trying to give them directions. But also, you're in the you're in the camera vehicle that's following, and if anyone gets in between you two, the, you lose the connection of the walkie-talkies. Um, and so then you just kind of have to pray for the best and, and try to get back into connection with with the with the picture car. Um, not having my crew memo signed beforehand, and mm. then having them held hostage afterward. Um, not knowing that you, you probably should shoot ADR if you're shoot ADR being like secondhand audio, um, because if you're shooting in a classic car, they rattle a lot. So you actually can barely use the audio that's in that car. Um, the second day of shooting, there was no audio that got recorded. So all of day oh two my gosh. recorded separately. Um, was that dubbed? Yes. Yeah. Uh, whatever we shot in day two was dubbed to so like inside the car was dubbed anything on top of the roof of the car was dubbed um kind of anything before you get to the house was dubbed that's amazing I couldn't tell for listeners who aren't familiar ADR stands for automated dialogue replacement and it's it's basically dubbing you get in a sound booth and the actors watch the footage and try to match their lips as closely as possible um, exactly but it's an exactly. interesting experience that that incurred yeah and then you need a talented sound mixer as well in post so that's great turned out beautifully yeah i totally thank you and big shout out to roman zetland at the post crew who was our forever sound wizard and he's amazing and made it work Roman, you are a hero. Okay, moving on to the longer form content. So South By is obviously a huge festival, very competitive, huge win that you got in. But this is not going to be the first time you've had a film at one of the big, big festivals. You also had Playland at Tribeca recently. Were you on site for Tribeca? How was the festival? I was. It was really amazing. It was such a great celebration for all of the people involved. Almost I mean, maybe 25 cast members came, which might be the entire cast, uh, and people's moms, and my mom, and a few of my friends. And it just, it was a really wonderful celebration of a lot of hard work, though. It was a very special moment. Excellent. And at what point in the process of Playland did you come on board? And was this also in an EP capacity? It's also in an EP capacity. I came on, actually, I would say October of 2022. 
And there was already a cut of the film at that point. So I kind of knew what mm. I was getting into. I actually found them on Kickstarter. So when I first started this company and I was looking to invest in feature films, I didn't really know a lot of people that needed money for the movies, but I knew that I could find those people on places like Kickstarter and or Seed and Spark is also a good one. So I went to Kickstarter and I would scroll Kickstarter a couple of times a week and I saw Playland and I thought it was incredible. So I reached out to Russell Schaefer, who's the producer on the project, and he came up to San Diego. We screened the film and I was obsessed with it. It wasn't quite colored yet and there was some sound stuff and they needed funding to, to finish the movie. But I got to see kind of the amazing fever dream that it is. And so I came on at that stage in the game. So, I mean, everyone listening is going to think that you are a dream person to find on Kickstarter to show such a passionate interest in their project, which is so important to them, and be able to provide that support. What kinds of things were you looking for when you were scrolling through Kickstarter? An aesthetic that was specific to a filmmaker. So aesthetically specific mm -hmm. filmmaking. Jordan West, who is the director and writer on the project, is incredible and has a wonderful mind. And... To see the film and to see something that I'd never seen, they mix a documentary style of filmmaking with a bit of a narrative piece, so it really feels like an amalgamation of the two. I'd never seen that, and I've seen the movie probably six times now, and I notice something new every single time I watch it, so that's really fun and wonderful. And then I think someone with a track record, you know, you want to bet on a horse that you know you can win, and Jordan's previous project had won a Student Academy Award. Russell Schaefer, mm. the producer, had had various films that had gone to festivals. So I knew I was coming into a team that had some understanding of what they're doing. Obviously, none of us fully know and we figure it out every day, but they they had a bit of a track record. And they were also just, I mean, to this day, we're doing another project with them, but they are just wonderful collaborators and really great to work with. And so I think that relationship is what's the most important with us because I've had it the opposite way. And... Talent mm -hmm. is one thing, but you have to be able to collaborate and they are wonderful. So Awesome. And when you say that you were looking for aesthetic specific, was this an aesthetic that you already had in mind and you were looking for projects that match that aesthetic or you wanted to find filmmakers who had their own specific aesthetic that you could tell was linked to them as kind of a, an author of the material? Yeah, kind of the latter. I wanted films that in the same vein of like a Wes Anderson film. I wanted to see a film and be able to know, oh, this filmmaker made it. I think mm. having a really auteur sense of the way that somebody sees the world and the way somebody sees a project is important to me. And at this point, I mean, my slate had consisted of just things that I had made and I needed things that other people had made that were amazing. Because what I've also realized too, in this process over the last, I mean, the company, was formed in 2021, but the first team member was hired April 1st of 2022. So I really consider that our first day. But what I've learned in that year and a half is that all I really have is my taste because you're just gambling. It's really just large scale gambling. And so I think really honing in my own personal taste is what's been important. And when I saw that film, I just, I knew that it was wonderful and I knew that I would be so thrilled to be a part of it and to be able to take like, 2% credit. I was just thrilled to be a part of it. Mm, I love what you said about taste. That's, uh, yeah, a great lesson to learn. Um, I think everyone will definitely be able to relate to that because you're right. Yeah, nothing is for sure. And we learn from, uh, you know, studio tentpoles, even when something is a sure thing, then it's not. So if you can stand behind the project, that's really beautiful. So you have developed a relationship with Jim Cummings, who kind of sounds like a kindred spirit because his his star was also big in indie films behind the camera, is now a good time and The Last Brunch. What can you tell us about those projects? So those two projects are little grandchildren of Jim's. And it's funny how I found out about those projects is because one of my good friends was auditioning for one of those projects and sent me the audition and was like, oh, hey, do you mind like reading with me for this? And I was like, oh my God, it's Jim's. Like I've got to reach out and like see what he's working on and connect. And I think those two shorts for public school pictures were a way to fortify our relationship with him, also become a collaborator. And also I wanted a window into the way that his brain worked. He's a very specific filmmaker. Mm. And he, for example, 
is a big shot lister. So every list, is, I mean, every shot is pre-planned and there's storyboards and it, it's down to the T and that really creates an incredibly efficient set, something that I had never really seen before. And I was so excited to be able to be on set for the, both of those shorts. They're both in the festival circuit now, so I can't say too much about them. Um, they both link to his satirical sense of taste and humor, uh, but it was, a beautiful start to a collaboration and then Jim ended up directing a short that I wrote that was another passion project of mine that we did over the time of the strike since everything was really slow called Pretty Sad and so I got to be directed by Jim which was super cool I'm a, because I'm a fan of his so to have him become a fan of mine was a really special moment and even to just learn his directing style and and watching the way that he communicated with me as talent was a really awesome experience and affected the way that I even think about my own process. So. Mm, mm. How did you first get connected with Jim? One of my former teammates produced Jim's feature called Thunder Road, which was a big hit, I believe at South by as well. And so my teammate was super close with Jim and introduced us and Jim at first was a mentor it kind of grew he was a mentor and then I became an EP on his shorts and he became a director on mine so it just kind of organically blossomed into a wonderful and fruitful collaboration perfect you also have a film coming up or maybe it's been released correct me if I'm wrong uh that's an entirely Spanish language film uh do you speak Spanish fluently and what was that like working on a film in a foreign language so it is currently in post-production. I'm actually supposed to receive a cut in like the next week. So thank you, because I need to send out a reminder email for that. Um, I do not speak Spanish, but Anna Patino, who's our VP of production, she's fluent. Mm. Um, so I have Anna, who's been wonderful and giving feedback. It's all subtitled, but I really like to hear her perspective because I think if you speak the native mm. language, you might get to enjoy the film differently because you're not reading subtitles. So I really lean into her perspective of the film. Um, but it's really wonderful. It was shot in the Colombian rainforest. It's a character study uh, and really explores the gray that exists in humanity. We're not good, we're not bad, we're somewhere in the middle. And it's set in the illegal gold mining trade along the Amazon River. And it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. The director and writer is Micah Van Hall. And Micah's also just a wonderful collaborator. And how is that? How did you get connected with Mike initially? Jim is an executive producer on Snake Oil Song. So mm. I think Jim introduced me to Micah. I think that that's what happened. Uh, but it's kind of it's kind of like tentacled out. Like everybody keeps it in the family. It's like once you're in, you're in. And then you kind of meet everybody from there. Well, it's kind of networking, right? It sounds like you meet people that you collaborate really well with, which is such a gift. And then they're very happy to bring you on to the next projects because they value your collaboration and input. So that's amazing. Thank you. It's funny because I actually, I think like general stereotypical networking makes me cringe. So I always love when it happens organically and uh, you start to build trust with each other. So that was awesome. It was a really cool experience. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, my friends and I joke that if an event has networking in the title, it's probably not going to be that great of networking because um, it's really relationship building in this industry, you know? So, mm -hmm. okay. So there's a few mm -hmm. more projects that I, I, I'm dying to ask you about. So let's start with In the Garden of Tulips. This is one that's on the public yeah. school picture site. At what point did you become involved with that project? Super early. So I also found them on Kickstarter uh, because this was that era. This was the Kickstarter era. And what year was this? 2022, maybe? This was August of 2022. So it was like two months before Playland. Because the company mm. started in April. So yeah, it was about August. So it was a couple months into PSP. And I found them as well on Kickstarter. And at the time they had a little like two-minute teaser and a script and a deck. And that was it. But I loved the teaser. The script was wonderful. It was really musical and it was a world that I had never been exposed to, 1980s Iran. And it was a story that felt like it really fit into our slate. I think our goal is that leaning into the public school 
side of things that we have something for everybody and even if something doesn't resonate with you you can go hey that was a good movie and this seemed to fit into that ethos um, so we mm -hmm. came on super early with them and they premiered at aspen shorts fest which is oscar qualifying they went to holly shorts palm springs it's actually premiering today at a festival called claremont in france and that was a really cool experience it was uh entirely shot in Bakersfield, California, which we duped for Iran. And that film is a foreign language wow. film as well. It's in Farsi and, and subtitled in English. Uh, I also love a period piece, so that was really wonderful. And it was cool. That's to, to make a slight tangent, we have a nonprofit called the Back to School Program where we go to mm -hmm. underfunded film schools uh, at high schools all around LA. And we bring in filmmakers, the kids get to watch their projects and then have an interactive discussion with them. So a bit of a live masterclass. And Tulips is what we showed to the high schoolers oh. for our first back to school event uh, about a month ago. And Julia, who's the lead actress on the film, and I'm sorry, Julia, who's the director, and Ava, who's the lead actress on the film, came. And it was wonderful because the character in the film is the same age as the students at the school. Mm. And what was even more incredible was a boy raised his hand and said that his father had actually the stories about a woman escaping Iran during the revolution and this boy raised his hand and said that his father had also escaped through the same place and and there's a good likelihood that uh Julia and Ava their parents went through this journey the story that Ava wrote is based on her mother and there's a good chance that her mother and this boy's father knew each other so that was a really kind of incredible moment and shows you just how connected we all really are considering we were like in the valley of los angeles and there was a boy who had experienced something within his own family almost identical to the film so that's absolutely incredible especially it was the first screening too what age range was this this was freshman through senior high school so what is that like 14 mm -hmm. to 18. yeah yeah incredible looking forward to hearing more about those screenings in 2024 um, I know it's quite an endeavor working with kids and dealing with kind of the the necessary bureaucracy of the LA school system. So I'm glad that you guys are navigating that. Going back to Thank a few you. more of your projects. So we have Lost Boy, which you're in early pre-production on. What can you tell me about Lost Boy? Coming from the same team as Playland is Lost Boy. So Jordan West is also the writer-director of Lost Boy. Russell Schaefer is a producer. We're coming on as a producer for this project. So We'll be much more involved than we were with but then we're also coming in at the very very beginning um right now we have an amazing deck made by jordan west and jordan's in the midst of writing this it's a narrative feature the log line is gay peter pan in 90s portland so i think it's going to be incredible jordan has an incredible aesthetic which i know we covered earlier with playland and i'm just excited to get to work with him again mm, how would you describe jordan's aesthetic like a punk rock fairy tale, I think. <laughs> like glitter and grunge, kind of. Glitter and grunge, maybe. I'm sure that they would be appalled, but I think glitter and grunge is how I, how I describe it. No, you're, you're doing a great job marketing it. I would definitely watch after that description, so. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, Jordan is super talented. So the last project I want to talk to you about is 13th Stepping, which I know you've been speaking about in kind of various phases over the last couple of years. This is a concept very near and dear to your heart. Um, it's also a very personal topic for me, too. So I cannot wait to see it. So uh, what what's the current status and what are you looking forward to? The current status is I will be working on the rewrite of the pilot after we finish this podcast. Um, it was a proof of concept. It was a short, really. It's what I did after Blue Moon because I knew I wanted to do something again. And I decided to lean into the most personal things that have ever happened to me. And a phase in my life where I was living in New York and I was a teenager and it was a bit of sex, drugs and rock and roll and there was no parental supervision. Mm. And it was relatively romantic, but also chaotic and catastrophic in so many other ways. And I just wanted to make sense and make right with some trauma. And so out came 13 Stepping, made a short. While I was editing that short, I thought, hey, I want to keep doing this over and over again. And that's how the company was really made. Uh, the company was also, I mean, our first intentions were to develop this show and get it sold. So we're still 
in the midst of that, I've written several iterations of a pilot. Um, now I feel like it's in a really great place. I took my original draft and split it into two. So I'm just really diving into the first half of what was the pilot before and figuring out, okay, is it a 90 minute? Is it a 30 minute? Went back and forth for a little while. Um, and now we've really settled at a 30 minute drama. And then also in the midst of developing this, I also started a company. So now it's like I fight for those two hours of writing every day. Um, but it's my heart, my soul. It's the thing that pushes me through. While shooting the short, I made some of my best friends. Uh, it is the thing that wakes me up every morning and that thing that I will make come hell or high water. So, Yes, I, I have so many questions about public school pictures. So we're definitely going to get to that in a minute. But you have surrounded yourself with incredible mentors on the indie film side, TV can in many ways just be its own beast. It's It plays by a different set of rules. Uh, the, the script structure is different. Breaking into it is different. On the writing side, it can be different. How have you been learning how to get something ready to you know pitch to a showrunner and uh, learn the structure of TV? How, how have you been learning all of these different things? I have a wonderful head of acquisitions and co-productions. Uh, her name is Anna Kukarina. She's a team member at PSP. She previously was at Fox and Sony. So she is just a mm. huge wealth of knowledge. And uh, she is developing the show with me pretty closely. And then an ex-boyfriend. One of my ex-boyfriends, his name is Max Borenstein. Shout out to Max. Max was uh, the showrunner and creator of an HBO original called Winning Time. And mm. Max also wrote a lot of like the Godzilla movies. Um, and he's a very talented dude. And I think uh, through our time in a relationship and now our time as, a, as friends, uh, I have just I've learned an immense amount from him. Awesome. So, yeah, learning from those around you, as usual, seems to be continually paying off for you. That's great. Um, so can people watch the proof of concept for the 13th stepping? I'm just dying to see it, Emily. So I just want to know the the first opportunity I have to see any of oh it. Oh, my God. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a trailer that we put on the website and then I decided to take it down because I oscillate back and forth with like how much should be out there, how much should not. And then it's, it's the same situation with Blue Moon. It's like you shoot something and then a year passes and you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? And then the pilot comes out and you're like, the pilot is 10 times better than the short was. And so then I'm like, I'm just going to keep that little short to myself. And like, this will just be an example of like the tones and the colors and the casting. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it'll ever be out there. Um, I'm also like in my own sex scene, which is a wonderful thing. But I'm like, should I put that on our website? Mm. I don't know. Um, so I have mixed feelings about the short, but... It was wonderful and something that was really hard to execute and that I executed at the time and really gave me the confidence to move forward in doing a show based on what we received from the short. I just think that now the show has evolved so many lifetimes past the short that I feel like the short is almost outdated. But I will send it to you. Uh, I, I'm excited. Thank you for that. I can't wait to see it. And I totally understand what you're saying. I think everyone can probably relate to feeling like, you know, if you're growing at all, anything you look back on feels a little bit outdated. So very relatable. Uh, before we get to public school pictures, I have to know there's so many shows about recovery, 12 step, non 12 step. Um, what are some of the ones that you think got it right? Or that or were there any that inspired you in making 13 stepping? Yeah, I've seen most of them, actually. Um, I really love the way that addiction is portrayed in The Sopranos with the character of Christopher. Mm. Um, even in Breaking Bad, I think that euphoria aesthetically is something that I really appreciate. I think it goes a little bit darker than we do. I throw in a little bit of humor because we talk about mm. some intense subject matter and I need to like make you laugh after you cry. So I think there's a little bit of humor there. Um, Rachel Getting Married, which is a feature and not a TV show, um, but I really love that film. I think that those early 2000s depictions of addiction and maybe it's just based on a side purposes but those were the things i really let, leaned into and then i think trying to show a little bit more than anything i saw while still it's an interesting mix it's like okay i want to show a meeting right but i don't want to spend an hour episode only in a meeting so like how do i choose the most important parts and how do i just piss off as few people as possible 
you know? So I think finding that, that balance of things um, has been what's fun. And then I think also deciding, you know, I think the easiest way to tell a story is to tell your own, but you've also got to decide, okay, what are the most interesting things that happened? And then how do you also just throw some glitter on those to make them a little bit, a little bit bigger. And, you know, the concept of addiction and recovery, like that was something I was so ashamed of. And I didn't want anyone to know ever that I ever had a problem with anything. And so now it, it feels very freeing to be like, I don't care. We talk about this, talk about that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty free and open. And, and that to me is one of the wonderful therapies of writing material about your life. Um, but I think more of my own personal experiences, I mean, I've been to like hundreds and hundreds of meetings and I think mm-hmm. that's where I find the most inspiration. Literally someone will say something and be like, oh my God, that's great. I've got to put that in. That's wonderful. Uh, I think that has been the wealth of the most inspiration for me. So are you still involved in the program in Los Angeles? I am. Yeah, I do not have a sponsor, but I still go to meetings and I'm still like a part of the mix, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, it it tends to be uh, very global, I've noticed. That's amazing. You can find the same support, you know, across the country than from what you initially found in New York. Um, Have you seen the show Louder Milk? No. Should I check it out? Uh, Okay. I would love to know your thoughts on it. It's just, it's like the complete opposite of Euphoria. It's a recovery show. They they show meetings in it every episode. Um, It kind of was very quiet so not a lot of people saw it but it's my yeah it's one of my favorites but yeah it's very absurdist and it's all comedy so I was curious like oh I wonder what Emily would think okay I'm gonna write it down I'm gonna watch it oh okay can't wait to hear what you thank think you about so it. much I I love it all awesome um okay so in the process of trying to make 13th stepping which we are going to see at some point uh as a show that is what inspired you to found Public School Pictures, your production company, where you're taking this meeting from currently. I have to ask because I haven't heard anyone else ask you this yet, at least not in your previous interviews. Where does the name come from, Public School Pictures? Okay, so I knew that it had to be either like pictures or studio were my options for the last words. And I really like mm-hmm. alliteration. And so I was driving in my car and I was just in my head throwing out some ideas and public school came out, public school pictures. To be honest, it just kind of sounded cool at the beginning. Now we put like this entire ethos and brand around it, but that like, I didn't know any of that then. I just thought it sounded cool. And, you know, I barely finished high school. I was so busy working at the time that I finally graduated, but I didn't go to college. I didn't go to film school. I didn't have all of those traditional means of education. And I liked that public school just as a phrase evokes this very DIY uh, energy and a bit of tenacity. And I feel like that was something that really resonated and then thus kind of became public school pictures. So now we have a 14 piece merch line and we sell lettermans and lunchboxes and backpacks. And we really leaned into it. And the public school pictures podcast where I talked to various filmmakers and people in entertainment and the back to school program like the back to school program and the podcast to me really lean into that public school aspect of things where there's mm. something for everyone and we're doing this for everyone. And there's an education component to it because I wish I had had more resources at the beginning, right. And found those resources through people, but some people may not be connected to people in film, you know, depending on where you are geographically. So I think those two things really led into the education part of the company. And, you know, I love a theme. So now we do like public school pictures, field trips. So, the whole team is going to Lake Arrowhead in February and, you know, we go to movies together or, or things like that. So it really, it, it was a fluke and now I've just leaned into it and it's working. So thank God. And then that ties in very well with your nonprofit as well. So that's great. Thank you. So founding a company also I've heard is a very attractive thing for the Forbes 30 under 30 list curators um, we recently heard about Forbes 30 Under 30 from Michael Redder, who I think is right next to you on the Hollywood and Entertainment category for Forbes 30 Under 30 2024. Can you tell me a little bit about that process, um, how you got nominated, if you self-nominated or someone else did, and what those questions were leading up to finding out that you had made next year's list? I'm so excited you asked. This is my biggest life accomplishment. Okay, 
<laughs> I submitted to Forbes 30 under 30 at the airport after I went to the Playland premiere at Tribeca. So I was on this like crazy high of like, life is amazing. And this just incredible energy wave that I was writing because I had just gone to Tribeca. And my publicist, Jacqueline Mallon, who's at Rutgers and Callen, uh, is amazing. And she sent me the link to submit, but I submitted just like everybody else. It felt like submitting to college, even though I haven't done that. And I had to write an essay and get specifics about the company and my biography. And it probably took me a good hour. I, I got to JFK early so I could do this before I got on the plane. And I kind of sent it in and like said a prayer. But the crazy thing is that I thought I didn't get in because they did a Forbes 30 under 30 um, thing with Bad Bunny. And I think Kendall was there like October maybe. And so when I saw this event on Instagram, I went, oh shit, like I didn't get it. Oh, I'm such a loser. Like I need to do better. Like I need to do more. And then a couple of weeks ago, I wake up. And of course, the first thing I do is check my phone because I don't have boundaries when it comes to work. And I saw that I got an email. So my Outlook is separated into two inboxes. It's almost like Instagram where you have like your DM requests and your regular inbox. So I have two inboxes on my Outlook. And on my regular Outlook was an invite to a Slack group for 30 under 30. And I was like, is this a scam? Like, what is happening? Did somebody get my email address? But I go to the Slack group and then I scroll all the way to the top and it's the link to the Forbes article. And so basically what they do is all of the people that are on the list, which they call us listers, they put us all on a Slack group together. And that's how they told, well, that's how I found out I was on the list. And then when I went into my other email inbox, I saw the actual like congratulations list. But I remember I, I went to the website and scrolled and like had to make sure. And then I called my mom and she like thought something was wrong because I was so like, oh my God, like you're not gonna believe it. Um, and then it felt like I got engaged. Like that's that's what that day felt like. Like there was like flowers and congratulations, and I like ate pasta for dinner and like just went to my favorite restaurant and ordered my favorite things. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment that makes all of the stress and the headache and even any of the self-doubt like worth it. And then I thought that it would like calm me down for a second, but it's funny now I feel like. I need to do more and do better. And because now it's like, okay, now you're like swimming with big guys. And like, I want to keep swimming. Like, I don't want to get left out. You know, I think everybody has a little bit of imposter syndrome to begin with. So you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. So like, I just want to keep my shit together. So I think it, it, it's been that feeling, but it's it's been awesome and my biggest life achievement. I mean, I, I would argue that your achievements, like the... I feel like the 30 under 30 is a mirror, right? It can't fabricate an achievement that isn't there. It's just the recognition of it. That's true. So, you you know, you definitely, your achievements were getting these films into Tribeca and yeah, all of the incredible work that you've done. Thank um, you. Obviously, I'm ex extremely excited for Thank you. Uh, your place on the list as well. But so you submitted that initial application at the airport. Did they send you an email with follow-up questions? No. Interesting. Oh, okay, cool. When I spoke to Michael Ritter about his his process, yeah, he had a whole second thing that he filled out. So that's so interesting. So it really, for you, was kind of sent away and then a big surprise just a couple months later. Yeah, like I don't even know. I mean, I'm sure they sent me a confirmation email of the application submission, but I, it was literally one of those just like shoot an arrow into the universe and fingers crossed it comes back kind of a thing. But I, mm. I did FaceTime one of my friends after I finished the um, the interview and I was like, oh my God, I just did this. Like, wouldn't this be insane? Like, wouldn't this be incredible? And like, and then he was the first person that I, that I called after I, uh, after I called my mom um, when I got in. Like, oh my God, it's crazy. So it was cool. Yeah. So for other people in shoes similar to yours who are maybe aspiring listers for a future Forbes 30 under 30 list, what would your tips be and what kind of answers did you give to the questions on that initial application? I So there was a word count for the questions, which made it kind of tricky. But I think I tried to name drop as much as possible, um, really be as authentic as possible, show a little bit of personality, but just try to give an answer that I felt like holistically encompassed exactly what I was doing. Because I didn't, I didn't want to leave anything out. 
I didn't, I didn't know they did follow up questions. So I thought, okay, this is my one shot. And how can I write something that best encompasses everything that we're doing? Um, and I even, you know, Anna, who's my VP of production, I even would like send her like paragraphs that I wrote and was like, okay, what do you think about this? Like, do you think I should like change anything? Do you like it? Like, can mm. you spell check this for me? You know, there was a few, a few moments like that. Um, but I think just being as specific as possible and dropping those names, I think was what I tried to do. Awesome. So, and obviously I think, you know, again, from what I've heard from other people, having the initiative to start your own company, especially in response to feeling rejected by other systems that aren't just going to make your thing the way that you want to make it is something that they really value. I know that um, a lot of listeners to this podcast value that you seem to have a very good grasp on uh, the business side and the financial side of filmmaking. If someone wanted to do what you're doing and found their own company, I think a big hurdle is, well, I, I don't have the money to hire staff. Or I don't have the money to invest in these features. What are your tips for getting those types of resources? Crowdfunding, uh, bringing in investors to your company, finding someone who's done it before and asking them how they did it. Uh, I think that I was really blessed to have a college fund, and that's what I used as my initial capital. I'm also blessed to have a mother who's an entrepreneur. She's a lawyer and has her own law firm. Mm. So she's my backbone for everything. She's kind of my silent COO, my silent unofficial COO. And anytime I have a question or a dilemma, uh, she is who I go to. And I think she's who I learned a lot of these behaviors from. It's funny, as a kid, you know, I didn't realize growing up in a literally in a law firm was going to pay off in the way that it has. Um, but it, it really has, and I'm, and I'm super grateful for that. I think read as much as you can. I found a lot of wealth of knowledge, even from books like Hollywood Deal Making. It was really helpful because I had never really been a part of entertainment law and didn't know what like SVOD meant or anything about like the residual structure. And I then was able to go into meetings and sound like I knew what I was talking about, which I think was really helpful. Um, and there's a book called Producer to Producer, which I really enjoy, In the Blink of an Eye, which is about editing. Uh, I think in between, whenever I have 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I'm reading constantly. So I think creating your own curriculum as well is really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's so crazy is um, uh, I went to the USC School of Cinematic Arts, and a lot of the books you mentioned were required reading. So I think this is just really excellent for someone to hear. If someone decides not to go the traditional film school route, you're perfectly capable of finding those resources on your own and, and learning just as much. So that that's amazing. Um, last question about public school pictures before we get into kind of your path that got you here. How did you find your current staff? You know, it's it can be very difficult to find people who are a good fit and who get what you're trying to do. How did you find the staff of public school pictures? So Anna P, Anna Patino, because we have two Annas, is our VP of production. She was previously an analyst at Warner Brothers and then worked in banking and finance before that. Anna, I found on Holly List, which is a great place to find people who want to work in the entertainment industry. But Anna was first hired as my assistant. And she lasted as my assistant for like a week. And I was like, you're promoted. I need your help. Um, and this was also when it was just like three of us at the company. So Anna and I built the merchandise together. We built out the website. We built out the social media accounts. We built out the podcasts together. Um, and it's been a huge help. And we've done so much together and learned so much. I mean, we have like custom labels and custom polybag and custom boxes and a distribution center and all of this craziness that none of us knew how to do. And we figured it out together. So shout out to Anna P and Holly List and finding her. Um, Anna Kukarina, who's Anna K in her acquisitions and co-persons head. She, I found her through an agency called the Pocketbook Agency. Um, my friend, mm -hmm. Brittany Dolan, it's a female founded company called the Pocketbook Agency and they are a placement agency. And they had actually never placed a role like this before, but they went out and they found her for me. And I had several interviews, but I, I found Anna K and she was a perfect fit and she came on board. Um, 
our art director, Gemma Rosa. She was a summer intern of ours that I met through an acting coach. She's a family friend of uh, my acting coach and she was our intern over the summer. And I thought, you're amazing. Like, can you come in and do our graphic design stuff and handle our social media and our merch photography? And she's our cool little Gen Z. She's our, our uh, lifeline to the youth. And she's amazing. And uh, then a former team member of mine, the one that was a producer on Thunder Road, I met because he had dated a girlfriend of mine. And I heard her talking about him and like what he did for a living and, and his past and things like that. And I was like, do you mind like, can I, do you mind if I get a coffee with this guy? Like, it sounds like it would, we'd have a lot to talk about. And we got a coffee and he came on uh, as the first team member. And then we've since parted ways, but he, and I learned so much together and, you know, we did Playland together and we strangers. Um, Anna Kay and I are now looking towards the future and creating an even bigger slate with projects to produce. Um, but that kind of first round was done with our former team member. I think something I've also really learned about teams, I hate the word staff, I hate the word boss, I hate anything that implies a hierarchy, even though of course like I'm the one that tells people what to do. I like if it feels a little a little more casual than that. Like a partnership, um, you know, yeah. And, but what I found, yes, like a partnership. Like obviously there is a hierarchy of like a flow of information, but not in treatment or behavior. Um, is that, because before I'd offered our former intern the role of art director, I had fired and hired three people for that job. And like, one girl showed up late consistently and left early without telling anybody. Another girl like lied and said that she could use Photoshop on her resume and really couldn't. And we found that out like hour three. Another girl like just was not sharp enough or quick enough. And so within like a month span, I had hired and fired three people. And what I realized is age doesn't matter. I mean, Jim Rose is like 21-ish and she is incredibly competent and precise and on the ball. It's just a matter and like promote from within because Jim Rosa cares so much more than any outsider ever did. And I think even with Anna, like promoting her from my assistant to, to the VP of production, like she feels as much of, as a part of this company as I do. And everybody has their own mm. stake in it. And there's so much more pride that I found versus someone who didn't get that. So I think if it's possible to promote from within, that really creates a great community and ownership over someone's work and an excitement for the future. And this group effort that like, it's not an I, I am like a quarter of this, it is a we, and we do this together and we are a team. And I found that that was a really incredible lesson that I learned in October by hiring and firing three people and then promoting somebody else, so. Yeah, and worked sounds like it worked out perfectly. So that's good. It did, yeah. She's currently uh out of photo shoot in New York City for our merch. We're doing like a home from the holiday shoot. So she's ice skating in Central Park taking photos of our, our merchandise currently. Ah, so. oh, perfect. I'm jealous. Okay, so We've talked a little bit about all the different things that you're up to, founding your company, the projects that have had success, are going to see success in the new year. Let's talk about the path that got you there. So you said that during your time in New York, there was no parental supervision when you were in high school. Can you tell me more about that situation? I lived in New York for about the time I was 14 to 18. Um, first, I was in model apartments, which are apartments that agencies sublet to their models. So there'll be like four girls in a bedroom, one time like five of us shared a bathroom. They're not great. Uh, and so I ended up getting my own place in Chelsea. And I there would be an intern from the agency that would take me to different jobs, but then it just kind of felt like a babysitter. So I kind of outgrew that. And I was just living by myself. I mean, my mom is in Dallas, my family is in Dallas and she trusted me and I mean I started modeling when I was 13 so by this point I was like four or five years in and and just kind of given that freedom I it was almost just like no one thought anything of it I just was living in, in my apartment and doing my thing and going to work at night or going to work during the day and partying at night and uh it was a wild experience I think I was definitely like 13 going on 30 that kind of attitude mm. but 
it made for a lot of great stories and hopefully a TV show. So. Oh, I was going to ask for a, a preview of one of those stories. But yeah, this is going to be encouraging people to watch 13th Stepping. But okay, so your parents trusted you. They've clearly been very supportive of every step of your career. They trusted you to move to New York solo or did, did someone originally move with you to New York or you just said, you know, this is where the modeling industry is like I need to go. And then your family stayed in Dallas and you went off to New York. Well, when I first started modeling, I was 13 and I moved to Tokyo. And then after Tokyo, I decided to go back to regular high school for like a semester. And I absolutely hated it. Like no one thought I was cool. I didn't get asked to any of the dances. I'm just going to like, screw this. I'm going to New York. And it just was the general natural next progression for my career modeling. So I don't know if we had any grand discussions about it. I also think when you're that young, you have no concept of consequences or effects to your actions or your like a cause and effect situation. So I was like, I'm just going to go to New York. I didn't really think about it being like, oh, I'm never coming back. But it just it kind of it kind of happened. And you know, New York is where the fashion industry is and is where the modeling industry really has its core. And I just kind of stayed. I mean, it's the same thing when I came to LA. It was supposed to be six weeks. It's been 10 years. I just kind of stayed. I think sometimes those things happen. When you moved to Tokyo, was that, uh, did you also move to Tokyo without your family? My mom came with me at the beginning, um, but then she runs her own law firm. So she had to go back. So then it was another situation Mm. where it's like, you have a babysitter or an intern who comes with you, but also in Asia, because I, I don't speak the language as much as I'd love to. Um, I don't know if it's still like this, but at the time, the agencies would have a, a car or a van or a sprinter or something, and all the models would go in the sprinter, and then they'd take you to your castings during the day. It's not like New York where you're, like, running around. Um, so I just basically saw Asia through, like, the back of a car. Um, and that was a little more controlled than, like, in New York, because in New York I knew the city and, you know, knew the subway system and things like that. Mm. Okay, so from Texas to Tokyo to New York, uh, I mean, it sounds like you had to mature very quickly and be able to handle very, you know, mature situations um, in pursuing your modeling career. I know you said that your energy and kind of stamina for this industry, which can be pretty exhausting, comes from the fact that you feel like you're fa- you found your purpose. I was wondering if you could speak more to that because you clearly have talents in front of the camera, behind the camera, modeling, directing, producing, writing, all of these different things. Is there one unifying through line of all of those driving your purpose or is there one specific discipline that you feel like is really what you're called to? I think they're all a part of my brain in a way and they're all things that I really like to touch on. I think that for me, purpose is just that thing that gets you up every day, right? Or that thing that like, Really, for me personally, it's like, it's trauma-based. So it's how do I make right with those things or those feelings? How do I make right with these feelings? Some people paint, some people knit, some people exercise, some people. I like, my art form is film. Um, and and that's really, really stems from. And then I think this initial just like fire, it's just like growing up, no one cared about me. No one thought I was anything mm-hmm. special. And, you know, I was a zebra in Susical the Musical. I didn't have a line. Like, no one really believed in me. I was, I was in show choir, but I was in the back row. I was, I was always in the back. And I think I was so frustrated because I felt like no one ever saw me. And so I think if I think about it from a psychological standpoint, it's because it was never seen. And so now I'm, like, fighting to, to be seen, to have my work seen, to have other people's work seen that I believe in, and to see others. So I think that's where it all stems from in my unprofessional opinion yeah definitely how has your living situation impacted your creativity so you know tokyo versus new york versus la especially things like writing which you know you can do on a laptop in any of those places you don't have to have all of the resources that you would have for an entire film set yeah i mean you can creativity comes from within you is my personal belief but it's nice to be inspired by things for sure So I think that for me, LA has been the place I've been the most creative. I don't really know why. I have a live work situation. So within my apartment is my office. So I have two bedrooms that are separated by a hallway um, and a kitchen and all those things. But everybody comes to me. It seems to be the only way that I can get everything done in the day. 
my little dog likes to run around and is good for morale. And it also just feels a little bit more relaxed in some sort of corporate office building. But it saves for me really like the commute time because I generally need mm. that time. Um, and I am someone who, you know, technically my hours are 10 to 6, but a lot of times you have ideas or thoughts after that. And I just think that public school pictures is such a part of me that right now, this homework situation, I think the ideal dream is, is a home with like a guest house. Uh, so there is still a little bit of separation between church and state, but there is this collaboration and this casualness to it because I think creativity does need a certain amount of freedom and safety and, and casualness to it to, to really flourish. So. Mm, mm. Well, especially with your team, it sounds like everyone's very tight knit and you guys enjoy spending that social time together too. So it makes sense that a casual yeah. environment would be really productive for yeah. people. Yeah. Okay. So entering sort of the entertainment sphere through modeling, making your way into film. I know you, there's a couple of important lessons that you were able to take from these early experiences and transfer into your latest projects, very most recently managing. Can you tell me about some of those lessons that you have learned along the way? I think that having goals is really great. Personal goals, company goals, and then individual goals for each team member, even down to, okay, for the, for the, for the week, for the month, for the year, and for the day. And something I like to do is touch base in the mornings and go over where are we on certain things. I have a master to-do list, um, which is pretty specific, but obviously there's nuances within everything. Um, but I like to go over that list and kind of find out where we are for certain things. Some things I won't check in on every day because there's not going to be an update, but I like to stay as involved as I can without micromanaging, which is this interesting balance that I discover every day. But I think, having an open line of communication, having it be collaborative, respectful, and showing appreciation whenever and wherever as often as possible is important. Mm. I know you, you've also spoken about how important perseverance is, and you, you didn't even call it rejection when you spoke about this. You said adapting to a no. Were there times that you wanted to give up um, or heard a no and felt discouraged? And what gave you that mentality to get through it? Yeah, I mean, all the time. Like, every no is a bummer, for sure. Every no is a bummer, but I think this idea that, like, life is cyclical and after X amount of no's, you, there's going to be a yes down there somewhere. Like, as you keep inching forward, there's inevitably going to be a yes. So I think there's that, and it's just like, I have no plan B. Like, I want this to work out. Do you know what I mean? So even if it's a bummer, I'm, I'm still going to fight forward. And now I've got people relying on me. And when, and when people start to believe in something as much as I do, you go, oh, my God. Okay, now we really got it. It's like I faked it till I made it, and now we're here. So now we got to move forward. And it, it, it's just, it's kind of that. It's like there's no plan B. You know, burn the ships. Oh, I love that, Emily. Okay, so moving on to our time capsule segment so we can freeze this moment in time in your career and life and also make some predictions for the future. So starting with the past, if you could write a letter to yourself 10 years ago, what would you say? Life is for living, make mistakes, it'll make a good story and you'll write about it later. Mm. Would that letter change if you were writing it to yourself five years ago? I think that at five years ago, I was acting. And when I first started acting, I got a lot of yeses and then I got a lot of noes. And so I think it was a season of noes five years ago. And I think what I would tell myself that is in the midst of this rejection, I'm still learning something and I'm still progressing forward. Like I'm still progressing forward, even though I feel like I'm not. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on to the present. These are kind of rapid fire. What is your favorite song right now? Can I check my Spotify? Hold on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've recently like discovered Guns N' Roses, which sounds kind of crazy, but like Paradise City really gets me going. Let's see what else. I've been listening to this song called Best of My Life by The Emotions because I love that song. It's like, you my little boo thing. And they sampled this song and I heard it on the radio. And I was like, that's the boo thing song. Oh my God, they sampled that. <laughs> so that's been great. I'm listening to like Fire, Jimi Hendrix, Oh Sweet Nothing by The Velvet Underground, um, mm. Wheels by Cake, Nothing But A Good Time by Poison. I'm 
I'm I'm going backwards and enjoying the retro side of things. So love it. Love it. What is the best movie you've seen in the last year? All Quiet on the Western Front, really. Mm. Got me. Mm. Like moved me emotionally. I liked Barbie too, of course, but like this like changed me somehow. Mm. What food or drink item are you currently obsessed with? Okay, so I'm in LA. We have something called Erewhon, which everybody kind of knows it now. <laughs> and Erewhon makes really great bottled like juices and milks. And they have a coconut milk that's just incredible and frothy. And then I've gotten this like chai latte powder. And I use like coconut milk with chai latte powder and froth it. The chai latte powder is by Primal Kitchen. And they also make really great products. Mm. What restaurant are you going to to celebrate a win? I guess where did you go for Forbes 30 under 30 to eat your pasta? It's called Nerano and it's down the street from me and it feels like something out of New York. It's very small. They always know my order. I have a feeling they're laundering money, but the pasta is just amazing. <laughs> uh, what is your go-to beverage? Are you, and I'm assuming that you are not drinking. So do you, are you a mocktail gal or are you a, a tea gal? I'm a chamomile tea through and through. Hmm. What is the most recent lesson you learned? And this could be about, you know, film, relationships, family, anything. Well, I think so I had COVID and I was useless. I have never really been that sick in a very long time. And I rarely, I mean, I never take a day off. So the fact that I took like four or five consecutive days off was crazy. And I think that I, you know, when you hire correctly, you should really lean into that trust of those people because I think it was really an experience for me to see, oh, the ship didn't sink. It kept running. It kept running fine. I got updates. But to really lean in that trust and that's something I've been building currently because I'm going to start acting again in the new year. I'm going to start pursuing a few mm. more things for my personal career. And it's nice to know that things keep going. And uh, I think there's this this fear that everybody has when they're a team leader that like, oh, if they don't remember to do this thing is somebody else. Like if there's an error, it kind of falls back on you. And so I think it just really, to me, reinforced how lucky I am and how I chose right with the team. And therefore I can really trust them. Mm, definitely. Who would be dream collaborators for you? Margaret Robbie. Um, Sophia Coppola, um, who else? Ari Aster. I'd love to do something kind of spooky. Um, who, 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 who? I mean, Jim Cummings is one of them, so we can check that off. Anybody Shout who's out talented, Jim. really. I think anybody that has a soul and a perspective. Shout out mm. Who are your pets? I have a cockapoo. His name is Howard. And he is just the light of my life. He's a black cockapoo and he's just sassy as hell and the cutest thing ever. Mm. Do you have any tattoos? Four. Um, I have an R behind my ear. I have Howdy on my hip. I have my 469 Dallas area code on my ankle, and then I have three little dots for my mom, my brother, and I on my other foot. What does the R stand for? Rule? Well, so my mother's name is Ruth. She hated tattoos, like hated them. And so I thought, okay, well, my first tattoo obviously has to be her initials, so that way she gets on board that this is happening. And I really like <laughs> the word resilience. So for me, it's resilience, but she thinks it's her initial. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, both, you know. What are your current interests or hobbies outside of work? Food, um, Pilates, exercising, my dog, my friends are my hobbies. I feel like that's so important. My friends are my family. They provide all that love and support I need to go out and fight every day. Um, and I also love like going to museums and books and things like that. Uh, okay, moving on to the future. Five years from now, where do you imagine you will be living? LA. Hopefully between LA and New York. By Coastal Sitch. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, is there anything you hope will have been invented? Oh, okay. I have a 2004 Land Rover Discovery because I like classic cars, even though this is like not quite classic. 
And it, I just, I've gone in September and it was in the shop for three months. And there's always just something wrong. And there's, there's no mechanics that come to you. And I guess for some things they can, but I think like an on-demand mechanic who can come to you for various things would be amazing. Amazing. Because all the good mechanics mm. are like an hour away. A business idea for the next Lister class. Speaking of which, the year is 2028. Who do you predict is on the Forbes 30 under 30 list? I hope that Gemma Rosa Ryan, my former intern turned art director, who's just a wonderful writer as well in her own right, is on the list. Because she's awesome and she like gives me faith. You know, she gives me faith and life and she's just awesome. All right, starting the campaign now for Generosa. Okay, last question. The year is 2028. What are the characters of 13th stepping up to? I hope they're happy. I hope they're still together. And I hope that they've grown interpersonally. Mm, love that. Cannot wait to see. Uh, we'll start with season one. I'm just still dying to see it. But Emily, thank you so much for the time today, sharing about all of your different projects. I'm so excited to see your project at South by Southwest 2024. Where can people keep up with you online? I'm at Emily Rule. My last name is R-U-H-L on Instagram. At Public School Pictures is in my bio. At the Back to School program is in my bio. You can donate and help out the kids. Um, but I feel like that's a great place. PublicSchoolPictures.com is our website where we have a handful of our projects. Um, and you can watch the moon, buy some merch, hang out, and uh, have a good time. Check it out. Awesome. Can, and cannot wait to see uh, the proof of concept and all of these upcoming projects. Um, thanks so much, Emily. Bye. Thank you. Here is a recap of some takeaways from my conversation with Emily. One, making your own shorts gives you the freedom to learn and equips you with the lessons you need to take into higher risk projects. Two, you can optimize attractiveness to investors by having a clear, distinct voice and bringing on seasoned team members that make investors feel confident they are betting on the right horse. Three, producing films is really just large scale gambling, so all you really have is your taste. Four, organic networking happens when you stay in touch with collaborators you enjoyed working with and start to build trust. Five, as you grow and progress in your skill, you may become critical of completed projects. Not only were these part of the process in getting to where you are, but they still have elements of your authorship in them and can be used as references for style or tone. Six, you learn by surrounding yourself with people who know more than you. Seven, the easiest way to tell a story is to tell your own but you also have to decide what are the most interesting things and throw glitter on them to make them bigger. Eight, if you want to keep learning, create your own curriculum, select relevant books, and read whenever you have 10 minutes to spare. Nine, age doesn't matter. 10, promoting from within creates a community, ownership over one's work, and excitement for the future. 11, if you struggle with feeling unseen or unchosen, it may be time to build your own opportunities. 12, to be a good manager, have an open line of communication, set incremental and timely goals, be collaborative and respectful, and show appreciation whenever possible. 13, life is cyclical. After a certain amount of no's, there will eventually be a yes. 14, in the midst of rejection, you are still learning something and you are still progressing, even when you feel like you're not. 15, choosing the right team that you trust will set you free when you have to be unavailable. And 16, life is for a living. Make mistakes, it will make a good story, and you'll write about it later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.